Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey, everybody. I had planned to do a new one today, you know, as usual. But I got COVID during my West Coast tour. So today, a best of. Not just a good one, but a great one. Also, as usual, because the best ofs are great. This is one that folks really reacted to because we learned a lot about what we are really up against. My guest is journalist Ann Nelson, author of Shadow Network, Media Money, and the Secret Hub of the Radical Right. It's a scary one. These people have been at it for 40-plus years. This is the marriage of the Christian right, fossil fuel interests, and your garden variety, homophobic racists and and fascists, and how they operate under the radar, at least under our radar. This midterm, we dodged a bullet, but we are by no means out of the woods, folks. And this one will give you some chilling historical perspective and a real idea of what we are up against. And I know you will get a lot out of this one. So my COVID, I picked it up on my tour somewhere between Portland and San Luis Obispo. I had planned to record a podcast uh, today with Joyce Vance, uh, Joyce in Birmingham, Alabama, and me in a studio in Hollywood where I uh, had been scheduled to do a show on Wednesday night. But I uh, started to cough in San Luis Obispo and I went back to my hotel after the show and tested myself and it was positive. And it's a real pisser. I feel okay, but I have to isolate, of course, because uh, one of my goals in life has been not to kill anyone, uh, which is why I avoided Vietnam. So I had to reschedule the Hollywood show to Friday, February 10th. My apologies to uh, all you ticket holders. I hope uh, you can make it then. The laughter will be infectious, not me. See what see what I did there. Of course, I, I couldn't go into recording studio, so I, I will reschedule my conversation with the amazing Joyce Vance very soon and get her take on the various <laughs> developments, and there'll be new ones in the uh, Trump legal saga. Well, before we go to Ann Nelson, let me just say something about the Respect for Marriage Act, which President Biden signed this past Tuesday. Immediately after Alito's draft decision on Roe, immediately after that leaked in February, I said here on this podcast that Democrats in Congress should immediately put forward legislation to codify not just Roe, but also Griswold, the decision that declared that married couples had the right to contraception. I would have loved to have seen exactly who would have voted against the right to contraception, and I, I, and I still would. But also uh, legislation to codify Obergefell, the 2015 decision, which established the right of of, uh, gay couples to marry. And also Lawrence, the 2003 decision that invalidated sodomy laws and thus made same-sex sexual activity legal throughout the country. 
Well, Democrats did put forward a bill in May to codify Roe, and that went down, 49 to 51. All the Republicans and Joe Manchin uh, were against, well short of the 60 needed, of course, but nothing on Griswold, Lawrence, or Obergefell. But then in June, when the Dobbs decision dropped, with, of course, Clarence Thomas's concurrence, in which he pointed out that the court's majority had found that a right to abortion was not a form of liberty protected by the Due Process Clause in the 14th Amendment, as the court had said in Roe back in 1973. And so Thomas concluded that the court should also revisit Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell, strike them down. Landmark cases, of course, that had relied on the same rationale. So I immediately went back to my former colleagues and again urged them to codify Lawrence and Obergefell. I also said Griswold, but at least on Lawrence and Obergefell, maybe they've been waiting for Thomas to say his part out loud, but the Respect for Marriage Act codifies both Obergefell, as the title indicates, and also Lawrence. I can understand leaving that part out of the law's title, the Respect for Marriage and Sodomy Act just hits the ear wrong. Now, that that's a joke. I honestly could not tell you what the definition of sodomy is. Point is, the Respect for Marriage Act codifies both Obergefell and Lawrence. And, and look, I was the first candidate for statewide office in Minnesota to call for legalizing same-sex marriage. That was back in, in 2007. Proud of that. At the time, some of my LGBT supporters asked me not to, but the problem was that I was, I was for it and was asked about it soon after I announced and was, I was for it. And I still clobbered Norm Coleman by 312 votes. It's hard to believe how long it took to get where we finally are. President Obama was not for same-sex marriage in 2008, and, and he wasn't until October 2012 when he came out for it, and not long after Joe Biden had said he was for same-sex marriage. But it took the Supreme Court to legalize it nationwide with Obergefell in 2015. During my first term, I had been told by my staff not to be funny, but I won my reelection uh, in 2014 by over 200,000 votes. And when Obergefell was decided, I wrote a press release and ran it by my chief of staff and communications director. And it read, Senator Al Franken, Democrat of Minnesota, applauded the Supreme Court today for its decision in Obergefell legalizing same-sex marriage nationwide, but called Justice Antonin Scalia's dissent, quote, very gay. My team did not allow me to issue that press release, and they were uh, probably right. Well, listen, we have a great one today, a best of Ann Nelson on the Right Wing Shadow Network. It's a scary one. You know, for a change. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. 
Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is such a comprehensive book. It's Shadow Network. Media, Money, and the Secret Hub of the Radical Right. And it's a title that says what it is. Uh, The shadowy network or shadow network is shadowy, I would say. Right? It has been until recently, but we've started to shine a light on it. And it's vast. Um, And it started in the 60s, early 60s. Is that when we're talking about? Well, it depends on how you... How, how you time it. Um, you know, you could make the argument that it had the roots with the beginning of the Republic because the North and the South were never quite in agreement. Oh, that's right. There are a lot of Southern Baptists involved in this. That's a big chunk of this, this network. And if you drew a map of where they're the most active, you'd see a certain coincidence with the Confederacy. And if you go to the 1960s, you see people who are very much objecting to the integration of schools. And that was the movement that led to the establishment of the Council for National Policy in 1981. And and the the Council for National uh, Policy is throughout this whole thing, is from the beginning through now, right? Yeah. And and there were organizations that had some kind of connection. You could draw uh, connections to Phyllis Schlafly, who was a founding member, the John Birch Society and others. But this was a coordinating body that actually aspired to do more strategic work than its predecessors. And they really did quite a job. Yeah, they're uh, very patient. Yes. Yeah. And the Koch brothers are here and the DeVosses are here. And it's quite an extensive network that it's hard to believe how extensive it is. And a lot of it is in. Uh, rural areas, of course, and not just the South. And it's it's kind of the flyover country, which I hate the term flyover country because i from Minnesota. And, you know, when someone flies from Milwaukee to Sioux Falls and they're flying over us, we, we don't go, damn you, <laughs> flying from Milwaukee to Sioux Falls. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I had you? <laughs> college classmates who would tell me that Nebraska didn't exist. I spent part of my childhood there because they'd never gotten a postcard from Nebraska, so therefore it didn't exist. So to get a handle on this book, it really takes us throughout this. And it's the, the, the vast is a word now, you know, uh, what did Hillary call it? And that kind of tarnished the a vast uh, right wing conspiracy. Right. But it is. It is. Well, but I also like to emphasize the strategic element because they don't do what they do in terms of massive amounts of money, although they have lots of money. They have massive amounts of money from. Well, yeah, from, but you know, the Democrats have more, but they're not as strategic. They are remarkably sophisticated. 
And one of the things that scares me here is, is kind of pisses me off is that Ted Cruz, his father or his mother was in computer technology. Yeah, his mother, a uh, computer scientist. Yeah. So uh, he has some of the most sophisticated tools. And of course, he was these people's favorite in 16 in the primaries. That's right. And the Cokes liked him as well. Yes, because Cruz was a reliably right-wing conservative of a traditional sort. And once Trump won the nomination and once then Trump said to the Christian right, I'm going to let the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation tell me who to nominate for Supreme Court justices, that that kind of did it. And these people all got behind him. And the NRA. The NRA got a vote about who would be nominated for the Supreme Court. And the NRA has been absolutely uh, pernicious, obviously, uh, in the last years. Uh, but they weren't always that way, right? That's right. They started out as a hunting club to help people improve their marksmanship, and they devolved into a, a toxic political organization. I guess when you get clips with 30 uh, rounds in it, your marksmanship isn't as important. Uh, yeah, especially if you have captive targets. Yeah. Yeah, and those weapons are designed to kill as many people in as fast time as possible. Okay, so uh, how I'll let you describe the, your book. I'll let you describe just the progress of this thing and where it, it has brought us. Yeah, well, I live in New York City, and my family, my parents are in Oklahoma, and uh, I was visiting them and, and driving around with the radio on and heard this highly politicized religious programming. Uh, the kind of programming that says... When are we talking about? When, I, obviously, when I'm they're talking child. about the Kerry campaign. We're talking oh, years Oh, okay. Now you're talking about the Kerry campaign, which, of course, is uh, 2004. Yeah. And, and somebody on this religious, this religious program, they said, well, if John Kerry becomes president uh, and we have gay marriage, your marriage to your husband won't be legal. Is that accurate? No, if... It, oh. Once that gay marriage became legal, it didn't affect the legality of heterosexual marriage at all. Oh, that's right. That's right. Because <laughs> yeah. I was married to my wife at the time and it didn't dissolve at all. No, oh, okay. Didn't. Okay. So this was inaccurate. No, yeah. The, they had a truthiness <laughs> problem, as our friend would say. Yeah. They had a lying problem. Yeah. That, that you could call it that. But they got their call in people all riled up. And worried, and I, I kind of filed it in the back of my head, thinking, "Oh, maybe this is just this local preacher who's spinning this line." But then, years later, uh, when I started looking at what had brought Trump to power, I went back and looked at this radio station, and it was a part of a network of radio stations, all of them broadcasting this material, and it got worse. It was like Hillary Clinton is a demon. That's kind of a religious belief. Well, Which yeah. is appropriate with <laughs> the show. I mean, come on. Render you know, on to Caesar what is Caesar's. Well, they were reporting it as news. And so what you saw was this whole three different networks, including quite a large one, Salem. That's what this book is, is identifying all these networks. Uh, the Southern Baptists, uh, their influence in the in this, and then these radio networks that there are quite a bit of them, 
And it's one of the problems that uh, Democrats and liberals have, which is we don't have any presence in these red counties and these red areas that you see when they color the map. We're, we're just not there. And people are only getting this, essentially. And, and it's gotten worse. It's gotten worse and worse and worse as uh, the business model for local newspapers and local radio has uh, gotten worse and worse and worse, right? It's basically collapsed. So as I say in the subtitle, you've got millions and millions of dollars from the DeVos family, the Kochs and others poured into this effort. You've got the media, which started with radio and spread into fundamentalist television programming. And now it's all over uh, digital platforms. Breitbart is a, a, a partner, Daily Caller, et cetera. It's just proliferating. And then you've got the strategists who figure out how to deploy their partner groups like the NRA, like the Susan B. Anthony list in deep canvassing in targeted races. These groups are very well coordinated with each other. That's what the CNP is, right? That's it's an umbrella group, and they meet several times a year, go into the closed room and do their horse trading. I'll fund this. You execute that. They do messaging, focus groups, polling, the whole thing. And there's names that a lot of us who have been in, in uh, politics or have been interested in politics for a long time know, like Paul Weirich as one of the fathers of these. Yeah, Richard Vickery, you probably know that one. I know Richard Vickery. Um, he's actually not an unfun guy to hang out with. He's terrible. He's <laughs> awful. <laughs> he's an awful human being. But uh, yeah, I was at a conference with him once and I enjoyed his company. <laughs> but Jesus Christ, he's done such damage to this country. Well, he, he basically figured out fundraising by mail. He was the earliest guy to do that. Yep. Mass marketing. Yeah, and these guys are, are smart. Now, the DeVos family, of course, and, is, and the Prince family are, are tied. Uh, Betsy DeVos, of course, became uh, the Secretary of Education. I remember during her hearing, <laughs> Bernie Sanders said something like, now your family has given over $200 million <laughs> to the Republican Party, right? And then Republican or uh, right-wing organizations. And she kind of went, yes. <laughs> and, and he went, and you think maybe that's why you've been nominated to be Secretary of Education? And she knew nothing. Yeah. I don't know if she had s stepped foot in a public school. She doesn't like public schools. <laughs> and therefore, you're the Secretary of Education. The best secretary money could buy. And she screwed like a lot of students uh, who got ripped off by Corinthians and those kind of schools, right? Well, not only that, when the public schools in my home state of Oklahoma were collapsing for lack of funding and grossly underpaid teachers, a, a group of public school teachers decided they'd run for the legislature. She put in $200,000 of her own money to contest the public school teachers of Oklahoma. <laughs> this wasn't while she was Secretary of Education. That would have looked bad. You know, uh, I'd have to look at the date, but it goes beyond that because, again, we have to keep emphasizing this strategy. It's not just the money to the Republican Party. You know, that, that happens on a lot of fronts. Look at the state of Michigan, which was a traditionally democratic state that had strong trade unions as a, as a function of its industrial history. 
her family based in Michigan put in millions of dollars to pass right to work laws, which, as we know, are anti-union laws. What, what those do is saying that uh, if you're a member of a union, you don't have to pay dues. Right. Right. Unless you want to. And that dries up the amount of money they have. And that's that's called a right to work law. And they did that. They pay in, in Michigan, of all places, kind of a home of, of labor. Okay, that's the kind of the Coke side of the equation and the DeVos side. Part of what this is all about is those people joining, the people that are in this uh, about money and who have a very conservative or uh, the Koch's libertarian. So you have the Koch, one of the Koch brothers. What year was he the candidate for vice president for the Libertarian Party? That was 1980. And they got less than 1% of the vote because nobody liked their platform. And he wasn't a great candidate, but so they're libertarians. So now libertarians, you know, they're de- generally uh, pro-choice, right? You know, there's a whole bunch of issues that were they're completely at odds with the religious right, right? Well, that's why I think the root of this whole movement is money and greed. Including the Christian side, um, uh, the Christian right side. There's a lot of uh, these uh, preachers who ended up um, getting in trouble for, what's it called, a stealing money, right? Or just accumulating a lot of money. Oh, I, there's the gospel. What is it called? The gospel of wealth? Prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel, which is if uh, you believe in God and you give to the church, then God will smile on you and you'll become prosperous. And that if you're a prosperous person, it means that God loves you. So that is, it's an all-encompassing thing. It gives you uh, righteousness for getting wealthy. (laughs) And it also gets the church a lot of money because people are are giving it. And then people testify to, I gave some money to the church and bam, I got tenfold the next week. Yeah, and the preachers get very prosperous indeed. It's really sickening. I'm Jewish, right? Okay, I admit it. but. That didn't seem to me, from the brief uh, familiarity I have uh, with with Christianity, and if you live in the United States and you're Jewish, you're paying attention. Well, yeah, and I'm Christian, and I've combed the words of Jesus in the red letters in my Bible, and I can't find any of that in there. No, I mean, he's quite the opposite, right? The uh, meat shall inherit the earth. uh, It's easier for a camel to go to the eye of a needle, something like that, you Christians. No, I, yeah, I think thing. they take razor blades and cut out the Beatitudes, you know? I don't know the Beatitudes. Well, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are the widows, right? Oh, okay. That's All of those. And somehow they're first on the hit list for these people. I know the New Testament as well as Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Probably better. <laughs> so, two Corinthians. <laughs> Was somebody took the blame for that because he he just wrote it out for him and didn't whisper it in his ear. You know, Trump was a transactional candidate. He this was all about quid pro quo. He really paid the minimal lip service to the religious elements of it. And they gave him a shopping list that he actually fulfilled. Can you give me and I'll give you either two minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, whatever you think you need. To, to give your explanation of what this is, what your book is, how the right wing has done this since the early 60s. Okay. 
You want to give it a shot? Okay. Yeah, give yeah, it a shot. Yeah. Uh, so Paul Ryrick sits in a room with a bunch of Democrats in the 1960s. And he says, oh, they're coordinating these different groups. And that seems to be working pretty well for them. we got the civil rights people and the feminists and all of them in here doing you know, housing policy. We can do that. So he is one of the conveners of this group. And he gets televangelists like Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson in the room. He gets strategists like Richard Biggery, Morton Blackwell, an unsung hero of their movement, who is all about recruiting and training candidates and, and election workers. He brings the money people in. A lot of them are fossil fuels, oil moguls from Texas. And 1981, they found this group. They have someone named Ralph Reed, who advises them that there are 18 million evangelicals in the country who are not politically engaged. So if they put together their own system of media to reach them, enlist the churches to tell these people how to vote, make them identify certain issues that they haven't identified before by basically lying. And let's talk about abortion, where they tell them that Democrats believe that any woman should be able to get an abortion on demand up to the day of birth. That's what they say Democrats say. Ted Cruz says this. In- so does Trump. But it's not true. But if they tell people and they believe it, they think that it's horrible, which I understand, but it's not true. And then they'd identify the states they need. So they'll go after specific seats. And you have the Democrats campaigning and doing their door-to-door canvassing. You've got the Republicans doing theirs. And then you've got this third group that often goes under the radar that has millions of interactions with these voters. And a lot of them are 501c3 nonprofit tax-exempt groups that are not supposed to be doing political campaigning, but they are. Right. It's very, very loosely enforced. The IRS is almost afraid to enforce that. And anytime they started to, they just got attacked by the right. So they backed off. And they backed off. Right. So add to that, as you say, in 2008, Obama used the internet and social media and other tools effectively. This got their dander up. And in 2010, the Koch brothers poured $50 million, 5-0, into a state-of-the-art political data operation that was then networked with their cell phone apps. That created a very unlevel playing field. But there's nothing unfair about being smarter and developing a system that's better. Well, they do venture into areas of questionable legality, such as accessing medical and mental health records in order to improve their voter profiles. Okay, that's is that illegal? Well, I mean, are they breaking HIPAA? Are they violating HIPAA laws? How did they Uh do that? Yeah. And there's a researcher named Brent Allpress who has documented it very thoroughly. But most of what they do is not illegal. You're right. Most of it is really smart. And because so much of the law around personal data and uh, digital platforms is unformed, they've jumped in and taken advantage of it. They were the ones that brought in Cambridge Analytica. They were the ones that linked this data to the cell phone apps and even do geolocation, where if you go to a Trump rally, 
they were downloading your information just by your proximity. Brilliant. And then they also have apps where they download your entire cell phone directory. And often without knowing it, people would give their consent to having text messages sent to everybody in their directory, supposedly coming from them, telling them who to vote for. Now, by comparison, what the Democrats had going into Georgia in 2021, because I, I, I interviewed somebody who had their cell phone app, it said name, address, party registration, and basically whether they voted last time and whether they were dead, right? How, how can we be not as smart as them in anything? I mean, how, how, how is that? Well, I think we got, I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a journalist and an academic. I think Democrats got complacent. And they said, oh, look, we have the demographics. Americans are going to get uh, statistically younger and more liberal and, and mm-hmm. more I see. And that's yeah. true, but it's true on the coasts and in cities. And that's not how our electoral system was set up by the founders. We've got this thing called the Senate and the Electoral College. Yep. We've been talking a lot about how anti or undemocratic, shall we say, both in the Electoral College and we've seen that, of course, and uh, we've also seen senators representing a, a minority of people uh, can stop anything. We're going to take a break for a moment. We'll be right back. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Um, Let's talk about their media, too. Because there's also, in addition to this Christian media, which uh, I think my listeners may not understand is as vast as it is, because I don't think my listeners access it very often. But uh, the Rush Limbaugh and the the Rush Juniors, all the local right-wing radio, and then, of course, Fox, that is also part of this, this architecture, right? Absolutely. And the, another problem the Democrats have had is that they wrote off radio. Now they said, oh, that's, that's the past. And in these states, which are dismissed as flyover and therefore neglected, they don't realize there are a lot of people who drive around in cars with the radio. There was an attempt uh, called Air America, and I don't want to go into all the details at all, uh, but basically we were just didn't have the money. And Rupert Murdoch must have poured what into Fox, like over a billion dollars to get up. And uh, we had over a million. But anyway, um, so so you had this Christian radio, this Pat Robertson, the uh, Tammy Faye, uh, the Bakers, right? But uh, lots of those, right? 
Well, and you also have the fundamentalist radio tends to be more in the South. And then Salem, which is the largest of these three networks, has other stations in urban areas that are called Patriot. So they'd be more mm-hmm. what you find in, in Michigan and, and Wisconsin. And Minneapolis. Yeah. Yeah. Used to be Reagan Democrats and now they're Trump Republicans. Yeah, no, it's really, uh, I listen to Patriot Radio when I'm in Minnesota, and it is, uh, yeah, it's minor league Rush. You know, Rush was very skilled, and they were given the model, you know, that's not our style. I guess we're just kind of fact-based. Well, yeah. You know, even when we're we're very left, you know, when we're very progressive, very left-leaning, we always kind of believe in reason, I think, mainly. And uh, one, of, one of the things we didn't do because uh, we didn't have the money for it is billboards. And you know what? When people drive around, you know what they see? Billboards. Yeah. There, there are some people now that are trying to rethink uh, about radio in, in those areas because we've just left them the field to themselves. Well, and the problem is that a lot of times they say, oh, well, NPR is in these states. But it's, it's no comparison because if you want to hear a, a respectful exchange with people from both parties, you get it on NPR. It's, you know, it's all right, Senator Democrat. All right, Senator Republican. Tell us your position. Here on All Things Considered. Well, yeah. That's my Robert Siegel impression. He's gone. (laughs) He doesn't do all things. But isn't that a good Robert Siegel? Your your Bernie was was better. Uh, I think it's more familiar. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, these fundamentalist stations, they make themselves sound like news programs. Their television and and their their video feeds on Facebook. They have the newscaster sitting at the desk with the Chiron saying news tonight, and then it's all totally one sided messaging. And what's their TV networks? They they have a huge TV network too, right? Well, Christian Broadcasting Network is part of their chorus. Like like for example, Salem. That's not re- as religious. That's more. Well, Salem is was founded <laughs> by two leading members of the Council for National Policy. It started exclusively as a broadcaster for religious programming. They're both fundamentalists. And then they expanded and acquired more and more stations. When I wrote the book, they were the fifth largest radio company in the country. And they have content that is distributed to several thousand stations. So they have a big footprint. A lot of it is what they call, and, and Trump gave them a favored place in the White House press gallery. He gave, he gave them an entire exclusive day in the White House to Salem. And so if you go to their website, they'll say, we do Christian news. And it's like, well, what is Christian news as opposed to news news, right? So, so they're very, they have these other stations, which are, have less religious content on them, but they are driven by this this fundamentalist ethos and economic system. Don't leave out the money. No, it, it's sort of a marriage of the evangelical right and what I call the Koch brother right, which is it's all about, you know, let's, we, we don't want environmental laws. Oh, no. We'll eat into our profits. You know, we don't want unions being strong. Uh, we don't want government regulation on pretty much anything. So that's what the court is going to be after pretty soon. 
the Supreme Court. I'm sure the next session is going to be going after the federal bureaucracy. You know, it's uh, the Chevron doctrine and all that stuff, right? Yeah. They don't want food safety. They don't want clean air and water because that just affects the little people. And it also eats into their profit. Exactly. Yeah. And the Koch brothers are offenders in those regards in terms of spills and poisoning people and arsenic clouds and stuff like that. I mean, you know. So uh, that that's who we're up against, and uh, it's 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 very frightening because they're kind of without scruples, would, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I think that there's a whole worldview there, which is they're tied into what's called dominionist theology. Explain that for. Yeah, they, it's taken from a verse in Genesis that says, "Man shall have dominion over all the birds of the air and the beasts and so on." But they've translated it into saying that they have a direct line to God, and God has given them and their religious cohort authority over everyone else. So it's, it's, it's exactly counter-democratic. It is not remotely one man, one vote. It is, we are in charge, and we'll tell you everyone else that they have to live the way we live. And we're seeing it right now with abortion law. We're seeing it with the laws on the state level regarding LGBTQ populations. And, and they have another organization that's part of the Council for National Policy called ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council. Which is huge. And ALEC basically writes these laws that go to state legislatures and the Republican state legislatures pass these kind of cookie cutter laws. That's right. And then they leverage them. To multiple states. So you get a truly alarming state law about abortion in Texas that sets up this vigilante justice system. And you say, well, that's Texas, that's horrible. And all of a sudden it pops up in Oklahoma and starts spreading to all of these other states. That's how Alec operates. Yeah. Well, you know, Alec will do things like make it difficult for towns, small towns to set up their own Wi-Fi so they can help incumbent, you know, uh, cable companies and stuff. I mean, they're awful. Yeah. And uh, the New York Times covered the case, I believe it was Nashville, where the Koch brothers, who were part of this, uh, went in and and campaigned against public transportation because they're again it. Climate policy is not their strong point. Yeah. Well, they, they do oil and gas. Has your book gotten a lot of attention in terms of have you been hearing from members of Congress and saying like, hmm, let's, or or from Democratic campaigns and saying, can you give us some tips? My book came out in 2019. And I think I was ahead of the curve because I commute between New York and Oklahoma. I saw things that were not obvious to other people. And so initially, you know, friends and colleagues in the major media and, you know, we're, we're saying, oh, we don't know if they matter that much. That changed started after, after January 6th because there were a number of figures from the Council for National Policy, including Jimmy, Jimmy Thomas, Clarence Thomas's wife, Cleta Mitchell, who advised Trump on, on stealing the elections, and various others who were front and center and are of great interest to the January 6th committee. And so all of a sudden, you know, I was being quoted in the Washington Post and interviewed in various places. 
interestingly enough, the people from government who've turned to me have been high-ranking former Congress people. Hmm. I get the sense that those who are in Congress now, I, I know that people have tried to draw their attention to the book because I really tried to write it as a way of lifting the hood for how these people operate and and really illuminate it. It's just valuable to know this stuff for my listeners and for everyone who cares about this country in terms of our politics, because this really is is a much a much more elaborate architecture and and uh, older and uh, scarier than I think a lot of people understand. I think also that that people don't see that they change the paradigm. And you still, you know, there's a piece recently uh, that said that, you know, President Biden felt that if he got good coverage of a speech in the newspapers, he was home free. And what these people have figured out is that you have these huge voting blocks that don't read newspapers, right? Hillary Clinton got, got the endorsement of 99 out of 100 biggest newspapers in the United States. But these people have figured out how to go around and work on radio, work with social media and messaging that can go viral. So, so they've set up their own paradigm. And if they don't get good coverage in the New York Times, they don't care that much because they have their own way of working. And not only that, so much of the Democrats' media is focused on the coasts because those are their more natural constituencies. And then the people right. in the large cities in the United States who would read the coastal media. So what these people have figured out is how to activate and energize voting blocks that are at a remove from those media systems. Yeah, because if you're in Oklahoma, you're not reading a lot about Oklahoma in the New York Times. No, you're not. You're reading about Queens. I mean, you know, and you're reading about, you know, international news. Uh, the Times is a great paper. But as we all know, people also hunger for local news, and that's also what gives a lot of news organizations their credibility. And also, a lot of local newspapers have been, because of advertising revenue, has gone away because people advertise on the internet, and the economics of local newspapers is making them disappear or making their staffs much smaller. The, you, you point out that the uh, number of writers for newspapers, local newspapers that are covering the state legislature has just been cut dramatically. Yeah, it has. You know, you and I grew up in the Midwest. And, you know, my experience was that people would get the newspapers so they could read the high school sports scores and get the grocery coupons, Right. And then they yeah, could absorb news as osmosis. And that whole system has changed. And I think that these people have figured out you know, the workaround a lot faster. And the other problem that I see is that the Democrats have been very wedded to spending their money on television advertising. And so the, the, this Council for National Policy Organizations. That's the organization we started with. Yeah. That's this huge organization that's been around that Wyrick and those others yeah. started and that's been coordinating this whole architecture for, for decades. Right. So they figure out, first of all, how to do more targeted 
advertising, much of it now on social media platforms, and how to link it more directly to the voters that they and 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 also to deploy the churches. I think this is really reprehensible. They have a pastor's organization with tens of thousands of pastors, and they give them voter guides that are put in the church bulletins. They're these voter guides, they give them videos to project in the sanctuary. They give them sermons they can download. So they're really abusing the religious organizations of, of, of our country. And there's a growing number of pastors who object to this. They're like, we're not, we're not, you know, political shills. But once their congregations are radicalized by QAnon and these other information platforms, they have a very hard time fighting back. You do mention this toward the end of the book, that there is rebellion among ministers, but there are also these, these guys with mega churches, and this becomes the community, right? Yeah. And this community is kind of fed this, this version of, of the truth. Yeah, there's a new project called the American Values Coalition that's trying to just counteract the misinformation, which is becoming really dire because something else that the Council for National Policy partners ha- have done is launch this whole campaign of COVID disinformation. So they're telling people not to get vaccinated. They're telling them ivermectin is a cure for COVID, which it is not. There was a political reason to start that, which is that that Trump was taking a lot of hits for not acting. This was started so that people would go like, no, 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 we're, we're closing too many things. We're, masks don't work. All this disinformation to make people mad that their schools were closed, which there's some legitimacy to that, but businesses were shut down uh, because it was the public health thing to do was not gather together in these, these spaces. You know, we had how many more times as many deaths as other countries like Germany and uh, the countries that actually followed uh, the science? That's right. We had three times as many as Canada with a lot of the same cultural aspects otherwise. And I think what they were trying to do was crash the system. I mean, immediately, Trump wanted to hold political rallies for the 2020 campaign. Of course. That's and if they were big, closed down, you know, strength. Then all what they did was criticize the CDC and Dr. Fauci and say they didn't know what they were talking about. And they started out saying hydroxychloroquine cured COVID, which it does not. But they mounted this whole campaign across all of their media platforms that I mentioned, Breitbart, Christian Broadcasting Network, all of them. I mean, they're making millions of dollars off of these fake ivermectin prescriptions. Also, we have still, what, 30 some percent or 30 percent of Americans who just refuse to get vaccinated. Yeah, it's just tragic because Paul Weyrich, you know, they, they make a lot of comments about about wanting to kind of crash the system to destroy the federal government, to destroy federal agencies. And at the heart of it, they destroy Americans trust in their government and in each other. And yeah. that is the true erosion that's going on right now. Part of that reaction to shutting things down was that militia group that went in with the assault weapons into the capital in Michigan, right? Into the state legislature. Yeah. That was about that. My God. After I published the book, um, I've published follow-up articles in The Washington Spectator. 
And my husband has published some in the Washington Spectator about the role of the militias, including the First Amendment Praetorians and the Oath Keepers and their connections to this whole movement. The analysts I know are quite anxious about the potential for violence looking ahead. Uh, But what we urgently need is more information on what happened after January 6th and looking ahead. Because even with the arrests that they've made, they've only scratched the surface of these groups. We know they're heavily armed. Really, the way people should think about it is that when they failed to keep Trump in office through the various plans that they executed over a matter of months, they did what they always do. They went back to the drawing board. They said, where are the weak spots in our plan? Let's fix them. Each link of the chain, right? So. Mm-hmm. That about the state elector slates and replacing the voters electors with the Republican legislature's electors. Well, let's fix that with local voting laws. Let's, so they have gone through each step and it's, it takes a lot of work to even keep up with them. Yeah, the, they're, they're talking about, OK, wh- where was our weak point here? Oh, I know it was in counting and certifying the votes. Yeah. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to take over the secretary of state position in all these states. They're, they're also trying to make it harder to vote in any way they could. They're working on the active duty military. They are busy on a number of fronts, and it's going to take a lot of research and a lot of urgent attention to document what they're doing and figure out how to reinforce the democratic principles. That's what you really draw from this book. It's just for how long they've worked and the importance of countering this. And I don't think we can counter it until we understand it. So thank you for, for, the, for, for this book. If you read this, you, you'll be kind of stunned by just how integrated and how powerful this is and how effective it is and what we, what we do have to counter. Yeah, and, you know, I don't think the Council for National Policy got the time of day from the national press until January 6th. And my book is the only book in existence that, that is about not just the Council for National Policy, but its affiliates and its MO, right? The media, the money, and the, the coordinating principle. And I think, I think our listeners probably knew that something like this existed and there was a lot of, but my God. You, this is, this is a very comprehensive book. Well, it is. And, you know, I was talking to somebody who was like, I don't like footnotes in books. And I'm like, well, I put in a thousand footnotes with the link so people can see for themselves the research and go straight to the source and build on it. Because this isn't just about me and my book. This is about our country, our democracy. This is a moment of truth. Yeah, this is kind of the opposite of an Ann Coulter book where every... Footnote is uh, designed to be misleading, you know, and you, you, you cite other books like Jane Mayer's book on, on uh, the Koch brothers. Yep. And uh, you have uh, obviously a lot of other sources, but this is very important for, for our side to understand. Well, thank you, Anne. The name of the book is The Shadow Network, and we like to highlight uh, the way the uh, right-wing, white right-wing lies have brought us to this uh, perilous moment, and we're gonna we're gonna keep doing that. 
Well, I hope you stay at it and uh, double down. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.